You guys can have a seat. Uh, my name is Isaac, and I'm on staff here at the table. And why is it that some things in life give us a lot of energy, and some things are just kind of meh, right? Some of, the, some of the things that we're involved in, some of the activities that we participate in, some of the people in our lives, some things give us a lot of energy, and other things we're like, eh, it doesn't really, doesn't really do it for me. So for me, um, I grew up in a small church, um, and I know some of us grew up in medium-sized churches, um, some of us grew up in large churches, like here at First Orlando, um, some of us did not grow up in church at all, uh, but for me, um, I grew up in a small church. And if you also grew up in a small church, um, you know this to be true, you have no idea what you're doing any given week you show up. All right, so I would show up one week and like, hey, Isaac, you're going you're to be an usher. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, and then kind of pass around the buckets. Next week I show up, they're saying, hey, Isaac, you're going to be uh, teaching in the kids' ministry. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I can, I can do that and just get the book, kind of read it. Uh, next week I show up, hey, Isaac, you're helping in women's ministry. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. You know, and, and I've worked in, you know, the tech booth, I've band, you know, some leading Bible studies. I've done a lot of different things um, and kind of serving in different ways at church and in different roles. And in some of those things, some of those, I get a lot of energy from them. In other things, it just, it does not, it does not give me energy at all. So why is that? Why does that happen? And maybe, maybe you've experienced this as well. Maybe different jobs that you've had. Uh, you've been a barista. You've been a server at a table. Uh, you've worked um, at the parks. Uh, you've worked at an office job. Uh, maybe you currently work at an office job at the parks, right? Maybe you've been a professional turtle trapper. A buddy of mine did that. Uh, you've worked a lot of different roles, and you've realized as you've had those jobs is that some of them give you a lot of energy and you just really look forward to doing it. And other things just doesn't really, you don't really get a lot of energy from that. So why is that? So actually, I, I rediscovered the answer a few years ago. And I say rediscovered because I actually already knew the answer, right? So, but I had forgotten it. But I rediscovered the answer a few years ago. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is going to talk about as we continue in our study in Ephesians. So last week, um, Doug talked, continued in our study, and we started out in Ephesians chapter 4. So we're going to continue in the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus as we continue walking through Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles or you have your uh, iPads or phones or it'll be on the screen, or if you're like super varsity and haven't memorized, that works too. But we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. It says this. I'm going to start in verse 7, actually. And I know we talked about 7 last week, but starting in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens. He might fill all things. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we, mo that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together 
by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the question, why is it that some things in life give us energy and other things we just doesn't really, it's just kind of meh? Why is that? Well, the answer for me, what I realized, is that I get the most energy in life and purpose and fulfillment when I'm fulfilling my role in ministry. That's what I'd forgotten, right? That's, that's what i kind of fallen away from, right? That I, when I'm fulfilling my role in ministry. And here's the big idea, and you have it in your handout, and it'll be on the screens. Here's the big idea. Every member is a minister. Every member is a minister. So we're going to unpack that sentence. So we're going to unpack those five words. Every member is a minister working backwards. So what do I mean by minister? Well, minister is someone who does ministry, all right? So what do I mean by ministry? By that, I mean ministry, here's, here's a simple definition. Following Jesus and leading others to do the same. Ministry is following Jesus and leading others to do the same. A lot of times, we think of ministry as something that's very complex, very nebulous, something that we don't really know how it fits together. Um, have you ever put together Ikea furniture? So just kind of like you kind of see the, print, the finished product and what that looks like, and you see your pieces, and you're like, how is this going to work? And there's like 17 missing steps. You have no idea how to get there, right? A lot of us, that's what we think about when we think of ministry. It's very complex, not a lot of guidance. But very simply, ministry is following Jesus and leading or helping other people to follow Jesus. And we help people follow Jesus. The reason we do this is because we are all members of the same body, right? We're all members. We're all parts of the same body. We're all connected. And this is what Doug talked about last week, is that these virtues that we have as Christians is that we are to bear with one another in love and that we are also to have unity with one another. And this is the same idea, that the way that you care about different parts of your body, right? You care a lot about your body and taking care of it and, and treating it the right way. Uh, we care a lot about that. And in the same way, we should care about the parts of our church body, right? Our church family and how we're all different parts. But not a, we're not all the same part, right? Because some of us are our hands, right? And some of us are ankles. And some of us, uh, you know that person in your life group that's the tongue, right? They just keep, just keep talking and talking. I'm like, I'm that person in my life group, and my life group knows I'm definitely a tongue there. So we're all members of the same body, and our ministry is building each other up. My concern, though, my concern is that not all of us think that ministry is for us, right? Some, some of us think that ministry is like for the, for the varsity Christians, that we think that ministry is for life group leaders, or ministry is for table hosts, or ministry is for like the hardcore Christian that takes their faith a little too seriously, or ministry is for paid church staff, people that work, quote unquote, in ministry or have a ministry job. Like we, we think that ministry is for them. And, and Paul addresses this. Um, where, he, where he says that uh, in verse, seven, in verse seven, 7 through 8, but in order to understand that, um, you have to understand a little bit of Jewish history. All right, so we're going to nerd out for a second. We're just going to look at a little bit of church history, or sorry, Jewish history. So you guys know Moses, a lot of us do. Uh, so Moses, you know, big beard, staff, original tablets, that guy. Um, so he uh, was in Israel, sorry, he was in Egypt. And he had God's people with him, the Israelites, and he was tasked to lead God's people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. 
So he did. So he goes to Pharaoh. He's like, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, no, plague, uh, repeat that nine more times. Eventually, they go out, and 50 days after they cross the, the Red Sea, uh, 50 days later, uh, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, right? And we celebrate that, or Jews celebrate that, as Pentecost. Penta, 50 or 5. Uh, so 50 days later, Moses goes up Mount Sinai, and that's where God speaks directly to Moses, and he gives Moses the law, right? So originally we have it as the Ten Commandments, right? And that's where the, the original tablets were. Um, but eventually it becomes roughly uh, 613 laws that the people of God were supposed to keep, right? And that was God's covenant with them. But they loved the law. And the reason they loved the law was because it was basically God saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. So that's what the covenant or the law symbolized. So they loved it. The Jews love the law. And because they had the law and other people did not have the law, uh, the Jews viewed themselves as like these like double platinum rock stars, God's chosen people, and everyone else was basically like your, your cousin's garage band, right? That you're kind of like have to like, and like whenever they ask if you're streaming it on Spotify, you're like, yeah, sure, and like play it like as they walk in the car. That, that's how the Jews... Uh, thought of themselves, right? And, and the, they, they celebrated this um, by uh, reading Psalm 68. And every year, for the next hundreds of years, they would read um, Psalm 68 to celebrate Moses going up on high, receiving the tablets, and then giving the law, or the Torah, as the Jews call it, to God's chosen people. And they loved this idea. So this is what, uh, this is what Paul is saying. Right? He says this, he addresses this in verse 7, where he says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Verse 9. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens. He might fill all things. So here's what Paul's saying. He's saying... Jesus is greater than Moses. He's saying that Moses, yes, Moses ascended on high, and he got the Torah, the gift of the Torah, to give to God's chosen people. But here's what Jesus did. Jesus first descended in humility, taking on our sin and our death and giving, giving us new life by ascending, not to Mount Sinai, but far above Moses could ever reach. And then from way above where Moses could reach, he gives us this gift of grace. So that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, look, Jews, you think that, you think that you're the special and you are the God's chosen people and you are the people that do ministry. Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Because of Jesus, ministry is for everybody. And that's the gift that we get, is God gives people to people. That's the gift. As it says in verse 11, God gives people to people. So Paul is highlighting that the grace of Jesus is for everybody. So some of us may feel the same way that non-Jews felt towards the Jews. Some of us may feel that way, where we think that ministry is for the select few. We think that the ministry is for the varsity Christians, right? That we need to be God's favorite to do ministry. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Because of Jesus, ministry is for all Christians. Jesus just like kicked down the door that enabled grace to flow to everybody and allows ministry to flow to everybody. So just like now, God is not just for the Jews. Jesus came down to offer God to everybody. So ministry is not for elite Christians because there's no such thing. 
ministry is for everybody. So remember the big idea. Every member is a minister, right? Every member is a minister. Is it possible, though? Is it possible that the reason that we're frustrated uh, with life, is it possible, is because we're not actually fulfilling our role in ministry? Is it possible that that's the reason that, that we're dissatisfied in life, right? That we're just, we're just trudging along, you know, we're just doing the, the same thing over and over and over and over and over. Life just keeps kind of doing these cycles where things aren't getting better and we don't, we don't know why. And, you know, we think that uh, we're just waiting for something to change. And, well, maybe, maybe a new job will help things. Or maybe a promotion will help things. Or uh, maybe a relationship will help things. Or maybe, maybe, maybe new clothes. Or maybe uh, don't elbow if you're sitting next to your roommate. But maybe a new living situation will help. And so, some of us think that, right? But... Those things are not going to fix the, this, the dissatisfaction of a meh life, right? If, if you're feeling kind of meh about life right now, if you're just overall just kind of dissatisfied with how things are going, uh, that, that's not going, those things are not going to fix them. So this was me a few years ago. So before I came here to Orlando, um, I was, ironically enough, I was working at another church and I felt dissatisfied in life. And I had a quote-unquote like paid ministry job, but I was dissatisfied because I'd forgotten that I get energy in life whenever I'm fulfilling my role in ministry. And when I wasn't doing that, it just left a lot of dissatisfaction or left a lot of me wanting more. But it was as I remembered that and rediscovered it that my life just opened to this like new energy and like newfound life and newfound purpose in life. So, so here's where we're going. Here's where we're going. Every member, every member of our church family, every member, everyone in this room, everyone here at the table, everyone here at First Orlando, all Christians, everyone here on this earth <laughs> can live life to the fullest. And by that I mean a life that gives you energy, a life that gives us purpose, and a life that gives us joy. All of us can do that by embracing at least one of these five ministry roles, right? All of us can live this, like, this purpose-filled life, this life of fullness, this life that gives us energy, do things that are very life-giving and energy-given by embracing at least one of these five ministry roles. So what are the five ministry roles? Well, they're the, they're the five that Paul mentions in verse 11 where he says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, right? Those five, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Now you, well, I'm going to end up repeating it a lot today, so just get used to it. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. All right, so this is a little caveat for some of us Bible nerds. So I say that, and some of you automatically say, wait, Isaac, is this a message about spiritual gifts? And are you going to exclude all the other passages in the New Testament that also talk about spiritual gifts? Why are you only limiting it to these five? I'm glad you asked. The reason is because these are not like gifts that are things. The way that Paul uses this here in Ephesians is that they're people. So Paul, yes, Paul does mention other kind of spiritual gifts, other places in the New Testament and Romans and 1 Corinthians. Um, he does talk about that. But specifically here in Ephesians, what sets it apart is he does, he does not talk about it as a thing or as a gift-ish. He talks about the person. And he, he talks about the person being the gift. 
So some would argue that all the other uh, ministry gifts that are found in the New Testament all fall under one of these five roles that we have. So for the rest of our time together, uh, we're going to take the Christian personality test, uh, not the witchcraft version, the Enneagram. All right, this is the, this is the Christian version, all right? So, uh, and so uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. So it's the acronym um, APEST, right? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And this was uh, popularized some years ago um, by this guy named Alan Hirsch. And Alan wrote a book called The Forgotten Ways. And um, so now this is something that um, so Doug and I and some of the staff have been learning like very recently. And we thought how appropriate just to share it with you guys. So for the next, I don't know, however long it takes, uh, book your seatbelts. Uh, but it, it, this is not original material. This is all borrowed. Um, so if you have questions, like come after. Well, I'm, I'm going to talk a lot about it now. But if you have questions later, please come, come find me. Come talk to us about it. All right. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. You guys ready? You guys ready to jump in? All right. So my hope is that at the end, as after I talk about all five, um, that you would self-identify into one of the five ministry roles, right? My hope and my prayer is that at, at the end, after I talk about all five, that you would kind of think, I think that may be me. And my suspicion is that uh, for most, if not all of us in this room, that as I talk about one that really pulls at your heart, um, you're going you're gonna to really identify with it. All right. So let's jump in. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Here we go. So the first one, apostles, apostles. And here's the role of an apostle, to extend the gospel. Apostles extend the gospel. And this one, more so than the other four, uh, requires some just careful handling uh, because uh, we're not talking about here about the office of apostle. That's something different. The office of apostle is someone who was a, an eyewitness to Jesus and someone who had firsthand in writing the New Testament. So as we're saying, the ministry role of apostle, you don't get to rewrite the Bible, right? And, and, and it also says, as the scriptures say, that the office of apostle is, uh, so Jesus is the cornerstone, and then from that cornerstone, the apostles built the foundation of the church, and now we've been building upon the foundation of those apostles. So we're also not relaying the foundation uh, with, this new, with this ministry role of apostle, right? We're building upon the apostles that were already set, uh, and building on Jesus as, as the head of the church. All right, so now that we got through that. So what does apostle mean? Apostle is one who is sent, right? Apostle is one who is sent. So apostles are people that can't sit still, right? They're constantly moving, constantly growing, constantly cultivating, constantly building. You know, they, they see something that, that needs to be built, and like, yes, and they like, go, go build it, both metaphorically and, and literally, right? So apostles are always thinking about the future. They're bridging barriers, establishing the church in new context. Apostles are developing leaders, and they're networking, right? Apostles challenge people to live out their calling, Right? And they're inspiring people um, to, to live their dreams, right? their God-given dreams. Apostles are catalysts um, to start new things. Right? So, they, they are, so typically, like, church plants will not start unless there is an apostle present, because apostles are the ones that love starting new things. Right? These, are, these are pioneers. These are entrepreneurs. Uh, apostles understand systems and how all of the moving parts uh, fit together. Right? So an apostle can 
Apostle can easily get on board uh, with a compelling vision. A, the, an apostle does not necessarily have to create the vision, but they can easily get on board if there's an, a, a compelling vision that they want to jump in on. But if it's something that's already established and there's nothing new that they can cultivate within that vision, they're probably not going to jump in on that because they want to be part of new things. Right? Uh, they, it, they love the challenge of taking part in creating a path uh, to see that vision happen. So, like, for example, if somebody says, it's impossible, it can't be done, an apostle would say, hold my grape juice, right? So apostles love new and exciting stuff uh, to learn about. But here, here's what frustrates an apostle. And apostles don't like to feel, this stage is shifting, I'm going to, there we go, that's better. Uh, I was like going back and forth, like writing a surfboard up here. All right, here we go. Uh, apostles do not like to feel like they're just spinning their wheels uh, without taking new ground, moving forward, or learning anything new, right? Apostles, they want to be pioneers, right? They want to be entrepreneurs. Um, so here are some potential apostolic roles. Here are some potential apostolic roles. A founder, a designer, a cultural architect, a general, an agent envoy, a visionary, a pioneer, an adventurer, a strategist, an innovator. These are all things that are potential apostolic roles. Um, if something, this is what ha- that's almost fell off. Do you guys see that? <laughs> or probably not if you're looking at the screen. That's why we stand in the middle. Or right, maybe I can come back a little this way. Here we go. All right. Uh, so apostles are uh, people that just like love, love being part of new things. Right? So uh, f- an example uh, I'm, is someone I know very well. Uh, because he is me, right? So I, like my number one uh, uh, ministry role is, as, is an apostle, right? So b- before I came here, that's kind of the conversations that Doug and I were having as we were kind of envisioning what young adult ministry could be here at First Orlando, and then getting invited into creating something here. I was like, yes, like sign me up. I'm like, I'm so ready. Let's do this, right? And just got here, like ground, like ground running and kind of start, starting the table and like starting new life groups. Like this are things that, that give me so much energy. All right, so um, here are some questions uh, for some um, apostolic ministry, right, or as we're looking through some of these roles. Are you helping to cultivate culture uh, where you are serving? Do you demonstrate a passion to multiply disciples? Do you help people discover and live out their God-given calling? Do you have a history of calling people to participate in advancing God's kingdom by starting new ministries and churches? And do you seek to bring the good news of Jesus Christ into places and people groups that have no tangible witness? Are you able to equip others to do the same? All right? So you can see this, this is the ministry role of an apostle, right? The pioneers, entrepreneurs. And you can also do that in the business world as well. So if you've ever thought about starting your own business or even have taken steps towards that, it's very possible that you have the ministry role of apostle. All right, so apostles, uh, extend the gospel. Cool. Number two, prophets. Prophets. Here's what prof- the ministry role of a prophet. Know God's will. Prophets know God's will. Uh, admittedly, uh, this is my five out of five on the ministry roles, right? This is, uh, full disclosure, this is my, my weakest one um, that I'm continually uh, developing. So, but here, here's a description of a prophet. Prophets are particularly attuned to God and his truth for today. So here's what prophets love to do. They love to sit still. <laughs> Unlike an apostle that wants to go, prophets, they want to sit still until they can hear from God, right? Because they don't want to move unless God is speaking, 
right? An apostle, we'll just, we'll just go and like, all right, God, uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to hand you my plans and let you know what I'm doing, right? And you make it happen. A prophet does the opposite. A prophet will sit and will listen first before taking action, right? And the action that a prophet typically takes is bringing correction and challenging the dominant assumptions that we inherit from culture, right? So, so we love culture and we want to be a part of culture, but part of being a part of culture is that cult, some of the lies of the, the, the widely held cultural assumptions then kind of seep in to our Christian worldview and, and distort it a little bit. So a prophet will come in and say, hey, we love culture, we want to be part of the world, but man, we, we need to make sure that we are holding fast and holding firm to what God has said, and we're not going to waver from that. So prophets insist that the community obey what God has commanded, right? Prophets are constantly questioning the status quo, and prophets help to reveal what's in the hearts of those around them and kind of the emotions um, that people are feeling and often do that speaking and using words. So I don't know if you've ever like sat across from a prophet or had a one-on-one with them or on a couch. Uh, They just seem to like say something that is so weirdly specific and you're like, eyes get wide as saucers and you're like, "How who, who told you? How did you know? God told them, because <laughs> they're a prophet, right? And, and God has revealed to them what's going on in your life because God may be using them to try to get your attention to teach you something and bring correction into your life. That's what prophets do. So when a prophet is feeling good, they're able to access regular time alone with God. Right? Prophets love to see life change based on the revelation that they have been given, and they, they faithfully share that revelation with others. And sometimes prophet feel, prophets feel like they're oddballs, like they're weirdos, because they don't necessarily see other people um, spending time alone with God the way that they do. And a lot of the ministry, um, most of, a lot of it is done one-on-one, and unless another prophet is like revealing something to them, then they just don't, they don't see other prophets in action. So oftentimes, prophets can feel like they're totally alone. So it's helpful for prophets to be in uh, communication and to be in church community so they can see other prophets and not feel like they're by themselves, right? So prophets are not odd, oddballs at all. They're not weirdos. They are gifted and given this ministry role from God to be a prophet and to speak truth, right? So this is what will frustrate a prophet. When frustrated, a prophet, instead of seeking time alone with God, they'll like abstain and not be active in trying to hear from God, right? So they'll just kind of not, not, not try very hard to hear from God. Also, it saps a prophet's energy whenever they share revelation and then people minimize it or ignore it. Right? After they've heard from God, they clearly hear, and now it's time to share this information that they've prayed about. They want to share it with an individual because they love them and want to bring correction. And you're like, yeah, that's stupid. Deuces. They walk away. Like that'll, that'll crush a prophet. Right? Or uh, they will find it especially irritating um, if, if this revelation that they hear from God does not inspire action. Right? So if somebody says, um, okay, yeah, I hear you, and then doesn't do anything, and the prophet's like, hey, I love you. What about this thing? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I hear you. And not do anything. Like, and then the prophet again, hey, this thing, I love you. And they're like, yeah, I hear you. And I, that, that will frustrate a prophet a lot, right? And the prophet's in the room. You're already like your blood is boiling from a conversation you had earlier. So here are some potential uh, prophetic roles, right? So some potential prophetic roles. An activist, a politician, an advocate, an aid worker, a poet, a reformer, an iconoclast, a hacker, a liberator, and an environmentalist, right? 
So as you can see, uh, some of these are like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. And other of these are like, what does that have to do with ministry? And here's what it has to do with ministry. Is that God has given you this resolve to go and like take care of people and speak truth. And that doesn't have to happen only inside of the church building. So being involved in politics is a ministry role that prophets can play. Right? Being part of, um, you know, some sort of like t- taking care of this earth that we're supposed to steward, um, that's part of this ministry role that God wants us um, to be a part of. And prophets will want to jump in on that. So um, the, as I was thinking through prophets, somebody who very clearly came to mind is my fellow staff member, uh, Britt Nelson. Um, so if you know Britt, she leads our Disney ministry. And, and Britt is awesome. And Britt is a prophet, so she speaks truth. So um, before I moved here, so this was maybe a year and a half ago now at this point, um, I was just visiting Orlando. I had no plans to move here, none at all. And, and Britt told me, Isaac, in less than a year, you'll be here in Orlando. And I said, Britt! Absolutely not. There is no, I would never move to Orlando. And Britt kind of gets this like sly grin and she says, okay. <laughs> and clearly she was not wrong. So that's, that's what prophets do. They just feel this, this deep kind of like something that just know to be true because they feel it in their gut that they heard it from God and they speak um, that truth and revelation um, to other people. Uh, never, um, never above Scripture. So if a prophet hears something that is contrary to what Scripture says, um, the prophet is not right, right? So if somebody is like saying, yeah, I'm a prophet from God, and, um, you know, God told me that you need to do this thing that's completely contrary to Scripture, right? Don't do that thing. They are not a prophet. Uh, the, any, any revelation, any inspiration that a prophet currently gets is always going to be in accordance with what the Word of God has already laid out, right? All right. So here are some questions. If um, perhaps you have a prophetic ministry, here are some questions. Do you have a passion to see people walk with God? Are you sensitive to the Holy Spirit? Do you seek to help your community and live in the power of the Spirit and operate in the gifts of the Spirit? Do you spontaneously receive a word from the Lord for the sake of your community? Does your heart break for the poor and for the oppressed? Do you seek to help people be involved with justice issues either locally or globally? Do you seek to call people to live in God's new social order? Do you cultivate an environment that also includes outcasts? And do you find yourself equipping others to do the same, right? Do you have this prophetic gifting, and then you just want everyone also to have this prophetic gifting, and you're kind of frustrated that people are not hearing from God the way that you are? Uh, You may be a prophet, right? So again, prophets uh, know God's will. All right, number three, number three evangelists, all right? Evangelists. And the evangelists were getting a little antsy already because you're people people, and you're constantly uh, trying to get to know people and talk to people when you've already been pitting, been sitting still for far too long. Um, so I'll speak to you for a second. Because here's, here's an evangelist description. An infectious, infectious communicators of the gospel message uh, to recruit others uh, to church or to, to, the, to the cause or to, to the hope of Jesus Christ, right? Evangelists have a deep desire to see people respond to the good news and hope that's in Jesus Christ. So um, they, they draw believers in, they, they draw people in to this wider mission of spreading the hope of Jesus um, to everybody, right? And it's possible that the only reason that an evangelist is here in this room right now is because they invited somebody. 
And if they didn't invite somebody, they wouldn't be here because evangelists typically feel like we already spend way too much time together as Christians, right? They want to spend time with non-Christians. They want to spend time outside of the church walls. And evangelists get frustrated that they're constantly like on Sunday service and then master class and then life group and then the table and I'm serving in kids ministry and we have Bible studies and I have like one-on-ones with my Christian friends and I don't have enough time to spend with my non-Christian friends, right? This is the heart of an evangelist. Right? So, like, why, like, why would I go to the table? You have to sit with a bunch of Christians for an hour and a half. I don't get it. Why would you, why would you want to do that? Right? And if you're having those thoughts, you may be an evangelist. Evangelists are great storytellers. Right? And they're, all, they're, they're recruiters. Right? They, they bring people in. They captivate people. They inspire people. They make people feel loved. Um, and the, you know that person that's in your friend group that's always planning stuff? Right? And you're constantly like, like getting text messages, inviting to stuff, and that person that's creating uh, Facebook events, or that person that's in your life group that's constantly wanting to hang out outside of life group, right? that's probably an evangelist because they want to bring people in and they want to rally uh, people together. So when, when an evangelist is feeling good, um, they find it irresistible to see the kingdom of God come alive in people. They just love the light that's in people's eyes that just awakens as they just like respond to the goodness of Jesus Christ. Uh, evangelists love opportunities to bring good news to people outside of the walls of the church, right? And they, again, they prefer to spend a majority of their time uh, with non-Christians. And it's particularly encouraging uh, for an evangelist, uh, for them to share the gospel with a friend and then, again, just watch them respond to this beautiful invitation of Jesus. Um, so this is how uh, an evangelist gets frustrated. Uh, when the surrounding soil seems infertile, right? When they, they're, they're meeting people, like they're connecting with people, they're having conversations, and the people just don't seem to be responsive to this beautiful gift of grace um, that Jesus offers, right? Or they, they get discouraged if they're expected uh, to spend all of their time like in church, if that's like how they're validating their Christian walk is by people like seeing their like organized church uh, attendance and they get frustrated that that's how they, ha- they feel like they have to validate themselves. They're like, oh, I have to like spend time with all these Christians again. Like, God, oh, give, me, give me the non-Christians. Um, and it's, a thing that frustrates an evangelist is unresponsive people, um, are, it, it breaks their heart, right? It breaks their heart because they, they love Jesus. They want everybody to love Jesus. And it breaks their heart when people are not responsive um, to Jesus. So here are some potential evangelistic roles. Uh, so we have a messenger, a salesman, a negotiator, a journalist, a recruiter, a promoter, an achiever, a believer, a champion, a storyteller, or a marketer, right? If any of those things resonate with you, it's possible that you can use one of those roles to f- fulfill uh, your ministry role uh, for the kingdom of God, um, for evangelists specifically outside, outside of the church world and another, excuse me, um, other settings. Um, so as I was thinking through evangelist, uh, I was talking with a buddy, and he reminded me of one of my really good friends, and some of us may know him, uh, this guy named John Dryling. All right, so John Dryling uh, grew up here in Orlando, incredibly well-connected, um, just around the city. No, no, like, if you want, like, a cool spot, like, John's always your person that knows the cool spots. Like, hey, John, I need, I need a place that's, uh, ha- that where the sun sets at 417 in the shade so I can get a beautiful photo. And John's like, yep, I know that spot. All right, that's, that's John. He just knows, like, every, every inch of the city. He's incredibly well-connected. Um, he's a professional wakeboarder. Uh, so oftentimes he goes and he makes a lot of friends like in the wakeboarding community and like building those relationships and hanging out with them. Um, like in, uh, he's right, 
uh, yeah, he probably um, invited somebody he met, like from wakeboarding, like, if he were to come to the table. He's out of, out of the country right now, because it's John. Um, but if he were to come to the table, he's almost never alone. Like typically someone is with him, because uh, John's just a master connector. He's an evangelist. He, he connects with people. So uh, questions um, for those of us that have an evangelistic ministry. Um, Do you have a heart for those that are far from God? Do you feel frustrated that the congregation is too inward-oriented? Are you sharing hope in Jesus in your neighborhood or within um, a select people group or within a place where you go to hang out? Like, are you sharing Jesus there? And do you find yourself helping people realize um, how they can do ministry um, in their jobs, right? How can they form connections in their jobs outside of the church? If that's you, you may be an evangelist, right? Evangelists recruit. Number four, number four, shepherds. Here's what shepherds do. Shepherds nurture and protect. Shepherds nurture and protect. So here's a description of a, of a shepherd. Caregivers of the community, right? Sh- uh, shepherds are very loving people, right? They're very kind people. They have, they have huge heart uh, for the people around them in their lives. They just, they love the, the, uh, the flock, right? The flock of sheep, they just love it. They love it. And they focus on uh, the protection and the maturity of God's flock, right? And they want to cultivate a loving and a spiritually mature uh, network of relationships. They, they want to make and they want to develop uh, disciples. And uh, they're harmonizers, the sustainers. They want to just bring people together in harmony. Um, also, s- small note, in your Bible translation, so this is the, the English standard version, um, but you're, so if you're using the ESV, you have this word, uh, uh, shepherd. Um, if you're using another Bible translation, it may be the word pastor, uh, which basically communicates the same idea. It's not necessarily that you're like a pastor, like the head, like over church, but it's that you have this pastor's heart, this shepherd's heart, right? It's to care for the sheep and care for, for God's people. Um, here's when a shepherd is feeling good. When they long for regular opportunities to bring wholeness to the lives of others. A shepherd is feeling good whenever they desire to lead their flock areas of protection and provision. Right? They, they flourish whenever they can create the safe space when people just feel loved and cared for. Right? And they, they just want to create that environment just to take care of people. They want to provide a place where people can just share their inner feelings, where they can just share their struggles, um, where they can uh, just provide a listening ear. Um, shepherds typically carry with them two things at all times. They carry tissues and a slingshot. All right? And if you are a shepherd, you know this. And especially if you're a female shepherd, you keep tissues in your purse because you never know. All right? So uh, when a shepherd is frustrated, when a shepherd gets frustrated, they feel like people are stuck for too long or they're not making progress or they're trying to help and they don't feel like they're being helpful enough to people and people are still just feeling down about themselves and don't feel cared for. That really hits at the heart um, of a shepherd. All right? And uh, also, shepherds, they hate division. And this is where the slingshot comes in. <laughs> because if somebody tries to come in to their flock to bring division to somebody that they're caring for, buckle up, because they're about to slingshot that bad boy, right? So uh, if somebody's being hostile or just being not having harmony in relationships, man, a shepherd is going to do everything in their power to take care. So do not view shepherds as weak. They are anything but. If anything, it's meekness. It's controlled strength. Don't mess with a shepherd. They'll take you out, right? Especially if you care, mess with one of their loved ones. Um, and a shepherd gets frustrated when others do not respond to the needs of the body, 
right? Whenever they see needs being met, whenever they hear like somebody needs to move and nobody's able to help them, or somebody has a flat tire, or somebody needs like their car being cared for, or somebody's sick and nobody's visiting them, like and this hits at the heart of a shepherd. A shepherds want people's needs to be cared for, right? And they can be frustrated when those needs are not being met in the lives of others. So here are some potential uh, shepherding roles. Um, a caregiver, a defender, a peacemaker, a helper, a first responder, a servant, a healer, a coach, a counselor, or uh, human resources, right? People that, that work in HR um, in the corporate world. So if you have, uh, if one of those roles stick out to you, if you're currently doing that, it's possible you could have a shepherding ministry role. Um, if one of those things resonates with you, uh, if you're like in school to go to one of those career paths, it's very possible that you have um, a shepherding uh, ministry role. So as I was thinking through this, I was thinking through another um, a staff member of mine and also a captain of our host, Black Shirts, um, here at the table, uh, Jenny Hearing. So this is what conversations with Jenny uh, typically go, how they typically go. Jenny will walk into the office and she'll say, Isaac, how are you? And I will respond, I'm good, actually. And then I immediately start crying within two seconds and just like outpouring my heart. I had no plans of telling her any of this, but she just has like this, this shepherding heart and this compassion towards her and that people just like go, whenever they're crying, you know, go talk to Jenny, right? Because she's just amazing. She's amazing at that. So uh, questions for people with the shepherding ministry. Do you have a heart for those hurting in the congregation? Do you find yourself seeking ways for the community to be more like a family? Do you feel that the other leaders are too outward-oriented and not paying enough attention to the eternal needs of the church? Do you find yourself walking with people through their pain, helping them to pursue wholeness and holiness in the context of community? And as, are you a peacemaker in the congregation, uh, seeking to help the congregation embody forgiveness and reconciliation? And do you find yourself helping teach other people on how to be more shepherding? And you find yourself teaching other people on how not to, not to judge people, not to condemn people, but to love people and to listen and offer a listening ear and offer a safe place uh, where people can really open up about what's going on. So that's what shepherds do. Shepherds nurture and protect. And here's, here's the last one, a teacher. Here's what teachers do. Teachers understand and explain. Understand and explain. So here's what teachers, they're, they're communicators of God's truth and wisdom, right? Teachers are amazing at understanding concepts. They're typically like, think of a, uh, so you, if you kind of know, but you don't, you want to be chill about it and not like too prideful, but you know you're kind of smart or like your friend that's really smart, um, there's a very good chance that they have a ministry role as a teacher, uh, and here, here's what teachers do. They help others remain biblically grounded to better discern God's will. Teachers, they guide people towards wisdom, all right? Teachers typically, not always, but typically are also pretty wise along with being knowledgeable. And uh, Teachers help the community remain faithful to Christ's word. And uh, teachers are mediators of wisdom and understanding. They train, they educate, and teachers love information. So if you've ever read a book with a lot of footnotes and you just kind of gloss over it, teachers probably not glossing over it. They're like reading the, like, oh, what influenced this book? And they're reading the book that the author read to write the book. Like that's typically, sometimes that, that's what the teacher does. Um, so a teacher is feeling good whenever they long to experience the transformation of their life through truth. 
right? A teacher's feeling good whenever they, they love truth. They want to pursue truth. They want everybody to pursue truth. And teachers do not like it when other people do not pursue truth, right? When people are just ignorant of facts and logic and reasoning, a teacher asks, why? Stop being stupid. Like if they have a maturity about them, they may not say that, but they're absolutely thinking it, right? That's what, that's what teachers do. Uh, they, they are feeling good whenever uh, people look to them for coaching or people like have, have a question and they go to a teacher. Teachers love answering questions, right? And especially if you are a teacher, like, in, in, like if you're an educator uh, as, as your profession, it's very possible that you have the, this teaching uh, ministry role and you love it when your students ask you questions because it, it excites you to be able to answer them. Uh, teachers uphold truth and see it as their responsibility to guard good doctrine, right? So uh, if you've ever been in a setting where there's like a classroom setting, typically like a kind of a Bible study, if you've ever done that classroom setting, and uh, someone is facilitating or someone at the front is kind of giving the information and they're walking through scripture, and then they may, maybe they either they misspoke or they haven't clarified their idea and the teacher thinks like the, the, the facilitator hasn't gone to like something that's untrue yet, but the, the teacher with the ministry role kind of senses that's where it's going and they want to stop it before it gets there, what do they do? They'll shut up their hands so they can correct the, teach, the, the facilitator for being wrong. So maybe you've done that yourself or maybe you've wanted to do that yourself, and if you've even had that urging, it's possible that you have a teaching ministry role, right? Because what frustrates a teacher is a flagrant disregard of truth, right? That's just going to push them over the edge. They hate when people disregard truth. Um, they're discontent whenever truth is planted in shallow soil and it doesn't take root. So let's say that they teach something and they feel like they've done a pretty good job explaining it. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it, I got it. But that person does not get it. <laughs> that really frustrates uh, a teacher. Or uh, they get frustrated whenever uh, they're not given an opportunity to teach, right? Teachers want to teach, yo. Like, and if, if, they don't, if they don't get to teach, um, they get really frustrated about that. And eventually they're going to spiral downward. So here are some potential uh, teaching roles. Uh, we have a sage, a professor, a philosopher, a scientist, a guide, a debater, an engineer, a researcher, a legal worker, and an accountant. Right? So if, if, if you're in one of those professions, if you ever aspire to be in one of those professions, if maybe you're not in that profession, but just those, those fields interest you a lot and you research them, it's very possible that you have a teaching ministry role. So... As I was thinking through this, I did not have to think hard at all uh, when I was thinking through who, who's someone who has a ministry role of teacher. And it's our favorite young adult pastor, Doug Hankins, right? Doug is this amazing teacher who's like seriously like one of the smartest people that I know. And part of the reason what makes him so gifted is that he's able to synthesize all this really complex and abstract. And he, Doug is reading books that you get like... Even the title like stresses you out. So Doug like reads those books cover to cover, synthesizes all the information quickly, and then explains it in a way that makes sense. So that's part of the reason why he's such a gifted a teacher here at the table and why he teaches most weeks because he's super good at it. Um, I remember my, my first interaction with Doug. Um, so I met him um, when I was in college back in Texas almost 10 years ago now um, at this point. And I was a, a senior in college. Um, 
And uh, I, was a, I was considering going into seminary, and one of the seminaries that I was considering, um, one of the views that they had um, with how they process the study of end times, or as some biblical theologians call eschatology, so they held a dispensationalist view on that. And my college pastor, um, not Doug, my, my college pastor, he was like, hey, I just, I'm not saying that's good or bad, I'm just saying you should be aware of kind of what they're teaching with dispensationalism, um, you should go talk to Doug about it, because Doug knows uh, more than I do. So I had a conversation with Doug, and Doug's like, hi, Doug Hankins. And then he goes on, and it's like the most engaging, like, hour of my life, just listening to Doug kind of walk through what dispensationalist means. And really, that was my first extended uh, conversation and interaction with him. In my head, I was like, who is this guy? And he's like, hi, Doug Hankins, because he already said it, right? So, no, so Doug, Doug's this, this, amazing, this amazing teacher and has this amazing, like, teaching um, gifting. So as, as all of us, for, for a lot of us that have this teaching ministry, uh, maybe some of these questions um, will, will be helpful as we, con- as we consider if we have a teaching ministry. Do you have a hunger to devour and understand the scriptures? Do you feel frustrated that others don't have the same hunger? Do you find yourself helping others to inhabit the sacred text? Do you demonstrate a passion to help the community understand scripture in order to live faithfully to God and his mission? And do you help equip others to do these things as well? So if any of those, yes to one or any of those questions, and that goes to any of the questions that I mentioned earlier uh, with the other ministry roles. If you answered one or more to the questions that I asked, is it possible that you have that ministry role? All right, so again, apostles, they extend the gospel. Prophets know God's will. Evangelists recruit. Shepherds nurture and protect. And teachers understand and explain. So here are a few practical notes as we think through, and I'm hoping at this point, maybe, I'm hoping, uh, that, that you've self-identified into at least one, if not maybe more, of these potential uh, ministry roles for your life. So if that's true, here, here's, some, here's some practical notes. Number one, and it's in, it's in your handout. Everyone has a role. Everyone has a role. Now, you may be sitting there, and you may be thinking, uh, I don't know if I have, if any of those things resonated with me. I don't know if I'm cut out for ministry. I don't know if I have a ministry role. Like, I haven't really been good at anything in my life. I've just been kind of going through life. Um, that is absolutely not true. That is a complete lie if you think that you have no ministry role. And my assumption is you have at least one of these five uh, ministry roles because everybody has a role in ministry. It's possible that you think that because of the second one, uh, which is uh, your role is not finished developing. Your role is not finished developing. Nobody was born at like, has maxed out like at level 100. No, nobody has done that. So it's possible that the reason that you feel like you don't have this ministry role is because you haven't had an opportunity to exercise it. And you haven't had people to come alongside you and help develop you. And you haven't had community to pour into you so you can flourish in your ministry role, right? And on the other side, some of you, or some of us, uh, we think that we're we're pretty good, right? We think that we've been doing ministry for a while now. We think that we, we got some ministry chops. 
And the same thing, your role is not finished and developing. Doug, again, is an amazing teacher. He's not finished developing as a teacher. Like, we're constantly talking about ways that both of us can just continue um, getting better and continue developing. So however far that we think that we are in our ministry role, it's not finished developing, and it's not going to finish until we're with Jesus, and then we don't really have a need for any ministry roles at all because we already have Jesus, and Jesus is the, the best minister of all. All right, number three. Your role is not your identity. Your role is not your identity. And what I mean by that is some of us, especially those of us that are maybe a little more developed in our ministry roles, is we put a lot of our identity in our ministry roles, right? Some of us think that we're, we're pretty good. We got some chops. And we think that it's um, that our ministry chops that validates us, that makes us good people, that makes us good Christians, that makes us good and robust um, in ministry. So for example, if you're an apostle and you create something and you cultivate something and you want to you build something and then you see it happen and then it utterly fails and flops, right? If your identity is in being an apostle, you'll be crushed, but if your identity is in being a child of God and not needing to work to, to prove anything, then you have the freedom to be an apostle in ministry, but you don't feel like you're crushed whenever your apostolic gifting doesn't go the way you think it'll go. Or uh, if you are a, a prophet and you just feel like there's this concrete barrier that you can't break through to hear from God, you may feel like that may be attacking your identity. It's not. Or if you're an evangelist and there's somebody that you're trying to connect with and you just you can't connect with them and you're trying, you're trying, you're trying, you just can't connect with them, you can't recruit them, it's okay. Your identity is not in connecting with people and recruiting people. Or a shepherd, right? You give them, you sit with them, you have this long, like far meeting and they're like, yes, thank you so much. Then two weeks later they come back and they said, that was the worst advice you ever gave me, right? That would crush a shepherd if the identity was in being a shepherd. Right? It would not crush a shepherd if your identity is solely in being a child of God and not having to prove anything. Right? Then you say, okay, and then you move on. Or uh, for a, a teacher, right? let's say teachers hate feeling dumb. Let's say you just like bomb and you just look like an idiot in front of people. Right? That would crush a teacher if the teacher's identity was in being a teacher. But again, our identity is not in our role, right? Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. Our role is not our identity. Yeah, so our identity is not in our role. And number four. Your role is not for you. Your role is not for you. And what, am I, what I mean by that is your role is not to pat yourself on the back and tell yourself that you're an amazing person because you're really good at this ministry role and that you do and you just like feel like, like, oh, I'm so glad everyone can see me at how good I'm doing in my ministry role. Your role is not for you. Paul says um, after he gives this list of evangelist, sorry, of apostle, of prophet, of evangelist, of shepherd, and teacher— Right? He said that um, he says that the reason that we have those things is for edif edification of the body and for this maturity and wholeness and unity. It's to avoid false teaching. It's to speak the truth in love, and it's to hold the whole body together. Because if we were not building each other up, uh, we would our the body would fall apart. Right. So we are the ligaments. We are the joints. As we fulfill our ministry role in holding the body of Christ together. And I'll close with this, and uh, the, band, the band can come up if they, they can hear me as I'm uh, wrapping up with this um, illustration. So I'm going to tell you a story about my sister, my older sister, and I think we have a photo of her here. So my older sister, um, she is a prophet, right? And I know she's a prophet because growing up, she would always tell me what to do. 
So her entire life, she wanted to be a doctor, right? Her entire life, wanted to be, since, since fourth grade, she said, I want to go to Rice University in Houston, and I want to be a doctor. I want to go to Rice, I want to be a doctor. So uh, she, did, she did really well in school. She graduated like, towards the top of her class in high school. So Rice University is a very small private school, a very prestigious school in Houston. It only has like an 11% acceptance rate. And she got in. Right? So this was years ago. She, she, got in, she got in college. She did her undergraduate at Rice University. And she, she starts taking, she just wants to be a doctor. So she starts taking uh, pre-med classes uh, to where, you know, she's studying, getting ready for med school. So she does well in her pre-med classes. She graduates. She takes her MCAT, uh, which is like the med school entrance exam. Uh, so she, she does well and she does well in her MCAT. And then she doesn't get into med school. So she's a... Okay, so she's frustrated, she's dejected, she's like, she pulls herself together, she's like, okay, I, I can do this, let me, let me just study harder. So she, she goes, she studies for another, it takes, the MCAT only happens once a year. She waits another year uh, to take the MCAT, takes it again, and she doesn't make it to med school again. At this point, she's frustrated, right? She, she's, she's dejected, like her childhood dreams are crushed. There, there was one school um, that offered her a... Um, uh, like an internship, but there was like no guarantee that she would actually get in, and um, it was like super expensive. So she's like, you know what? That may, it maybe just being a doctor isn't for me. Um, so so she discovers that she still want, really wants to be part of the medical field. Um, so she discovers this uh, graduate program of being in healthcare administration. All right, so she does that program and eventually graduates uh, with her master's degree in um, in. Um, in healthcare, healthcare administration, or healthcare management more specifically. So now uh, she has a bachelor's degree from Rice University. She has a master's degree in healthcare management, and she can't get a job. So she's like, what is going on? So it's like another year of applying nothing, applying nothing, applying nothing, applying nothing. She can't, can't get a job. So after a year of like working these jobs that basically you just needed a high school diploma to work, Finally, finally, she gets a job in, in the healthcare field, in healthcare administration, kind of at a lower position. And in the last few years, working, working her way up um, to where now um, she works for uh, the largest healthcare system in the largest medical center in the world, right? And she works in healthcare management there. So in Houston, Houston has the, the largest um, medical center in the world. So in her new, like, hospital system job, um, her job is to focus on something that's called a, a hospital safety grade. And if you work in hospitals, you know this, um, the hospital safety grade. So it basically measures um, how good hospitals are at not killing people. So they, they, give, they give every hospital a grade, right? And it's public information. Um, it's a thing called LeapFrog um, that I learned from her. Uh, so it basically measures like, how hospitals do at, like, caring for people and not adding extra killings. So uh, Orlando Health, uh, Orlando Health has a B. You'll be, uh, uh, Florida Hospital has an A. Uh, Winter Park Memorial has an A. Uh, Central Florida Hospital, Re Central Florida Regional has a B. And um, public information, and because I love you guys, I may advise you to perhaps consider another place if you're considering St. Cloud Regional Medical Center. <laughs> they have a D. Uh, that's the, <sighs> yeah. 
I love you. I'm not, so this was, let me, caveat, if any of you work there, or if there's like the president of the hospital that happens to be here, I'm just being honest, your hospital has a D. <laughs> um, this was grades from the spring, and I, I know that the fall grades are about to come out uh, a little later, um, so it may improve. We all hope so for our friends from St. Cloud. Um, so, so my sister, so she, um, so she, 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 this is what she thinks through uh, in, back in the Houston area uh, where she lives. And she was, she was invited to a meeting uh, with her boss's bosses um, to, to think through how they were doing in their hospital safety grades and how they, they could improve them and how they could make sure they could get all A's across the board. And again, my sister's a prophet, right? She has this prophetic gifting. So she felt this prophetic resolve, right? Just like from God deep within her gut and her soul on how she could use her prophetic gifting in the workplace to help save people, right? My sister, she loves people. She wants to care for people. That's why she got into healthcare in the first place, to, to, to help people. So she, she did her research, and she put together a PowerPoint presentation uh, to where she um, then presented this idea of how they could increase their hospital safety grade across um, all the hospitals there in their hospital system. And basically uh, what she did was she did research, and she figured out that in the intensive care unit, in ICU, a way to increase hospital safety grades was to have a physician there in ICU 24-7. Um, so that was not a standard practice in hospitals. So my sister was trying to go in to make that a standard practice, in, in the, at least in their hospital system. So she's there with, with her boss's bosses and with humbleness, and, but also kind of like, this is what I think we should do. And they listened. And they, they, they implemented a having a 24-7 physician there in ICU. So now... Uh, my sister is also heavily involved at her church in the Houston area, and there was a lady there at the church that had some serious medical stuff happen um, earlier this year. So she gets rushed to an ICU, to one of the hospitals that my sister was able to influence. And she goes into the ICU unit of this hospital, and now the policy was already implemented that there was a physician that was there overnight when she got admitted so her, her life was saved, right? So there, before then, there was like a 33% chance that this lady, this woman would have lived. And because there was a physician there, in part because of this prophetic gifting that my sister had to be able to influence her workplace to save people, this lady, this lady was saved, someone that my sister actually knew. So because of my sister's prophetic gifting, her current role and her experience, God is using her to save lives. So actually, I was talking on the phone with my sister um, this week, and I asked her, I was like, hey, so uh, do you think that you have saved more lives now than you would have as a doctor? Her response, oh, yeah, like, no question, definitely. She said this, my purpose as a prophet in healthcare is to provide healthcare outcomes that are answers to prayers. God uses me as a change, change agent to make that happen. Right? So that's one way that we can use our ministry roles in the church. And that example was outside of the church in our workplace. Right? So, so my hope and my desire is that we'll have conversations. If you, uh, one of your friends you feel like was one of the five, if, if you're one of the five, I'm, I'm, this is uh, what we're going to talk about in our, in our life groups this week, kind of what we are and where we see ourselves. So my hope is that all of us, feel inspired that you can do ministry and you can live this purpose-filled life doing this ministry role that Jesus has given to you to other people. So let's pray. God, we thank you 
we, we thank you for, for loving us. We thank you for um, just for, for giving us, God, to, to people, just to love people. And we thank you for um, just the life that you've given us. We thank you for our ministry roles, that we can just love people and feel purpose and feel fulfillment in it. So, God, we thank you, Jesus, that you are the giver of gifts. Like, we, we can't do anything on our own. It is you that is the giver. So we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, in this time, the band is going to play. We're, we're just going to stay, stay seated. You can keep your eyes open or you can close your eyes. But I want us to take like 60 seconds um, just to kind of process uh, kind of what, what we've heard today and take 60 seconds to kind of figure out where, where do we think that our ministry role may be. And if you want to go and like sit next to somebody and talk to them about it, like that's, that's okay. Um, you, you can do that. But just sit there for, for 60 seconds. And really just focus. If your mind's wandering, just kind of bring it back, focus it in. And just think through and ask God to reveal to you where do you think your ministry role may be and how that may shape um, you moving forward. And as you're there with your eyes open or closed or head bowed or up, but just, but just thinking and contemplating, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask these questions that may help, um, help, may help inspire you. So, who or where do you have a passion to serve? What do you have a burden to do? Is there something that you're just burdened for? What needs do you see in the church? What do you find joy in doing for others? What opportunities has God already provided for you to serve others? What's already working? What are you best at and have the most success in? What have godly people said, I see that in you and I want to encourage that? And what acts of service have given you the deepest sense of satisfaction and joy? It's possible that those, it's an indication of how God has made you and uniquely wired you. So for another 30 seconds, with our heads bowed or not, and um, Jason's going to sing a song. Um, so I pray that we can just sit and think and then sing to Jesus as a response um, to what he's telling us right now. 